Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. And it's the most wonderful time of the year. We have finally reached week one of the NFL season. And of course, I'm not here alone. It's Biggie, a.k.a. Ethan Tay, a.k.a. the happy belated birthday boy. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. Um, just drafted my last team maybe two hours, two, three hours ago. Uh, I feel like I made the steal of the draft. Drafting DeAndre Hopkins just to stash him for when he gets back from this six-game suspension. So, like, I might be looking at having four top-tier fantasy receivers on my roster. So, I'm feeling good. Yeah, no, I mean, you showed me the draft a little bit ago, so it's looking like you got a squad. So, how many drafts do you end up doing? How many teams you got? I just got, I think, two. Like, I didn't draft the team that I got auto-drafted. Mm-hmm. That team, but this the only team like I actually drafted. I typically don't get into like more than two fantasy leagues unless somebody like invites me at the last second, then I get them like a third. Gotcha. I am about to draft my ninth team, and then after this, I am done. The most I've ever had was 10, but I'm trying not to go over that benchmark, so I'm gonna do nine and call it a day. But We got a really jam-packed show for you guys. Of course, we are going to talk week one of the NFL season. So much excitement that comes with that. Also, with the NBA, we also have a lot of fun going into the... um, Donovan Mitchell is finally traded from the Utah Jazz. In addition to that, we also see R.J. Barrett got the bag. So much things going on again around the sports landscape. And then, of course, we are going to close out this show um, recapping... Card Clash at the Castle. Ethan, did you end up watching Clash at the Castle? No, I didn't because when I planned on watching it, um, me and Aiden started watching Game of Thrones. Totally fair. Uh, It's all good. Well, I'll give my recap at the end of this. But without further ado, let's go ahead and kick things off with the NFL. And let's, let's start off this segment with one of my favorite things to do. Um, and it's the college football player spotlight. Now, as excited I am for the NFL season to start, let's not forget that college football really got underway this past weekend. So many great games, minus LSU giving me a heart attack. But this was also a great time to get to see some of the best uh, upcoming draft prospects for this upcoming 2023 draft class, one of those being reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Alabama junior quarterback Bryce Young, who threw five touchdowns in Bama season opener against Utah State. Honestly, how could you expect anything less? So I know that it's such a long way until we reach next April and that uh, NFL draft, but so many people are mentioning that Bryce Young has a chance to be the first team off the board. I'm not going to ask you to predict who's going to have the first overall pick, but in your opinion, what NFL team do you think would fit Bryce Young the best? So predicting this is really hard, and the reason I'm going to say it's really hard it's for the reason why a quarterback like Bryce Young is going to be really hard to predict for. It's when you look at his measurables. Like, NFL teams, they're enamored with measurables. But he's a guy that you look at, he's six foot, and he's not. I'm looking at his listed weight, and it's 194 pounds. Like, it's hard to predict what team's going to make that leap to draft a guy with that size stature, 
that I'm going to pick is a team that has made a very a similar move in the past and reaped tremendous benefits, and I'm going to pick the Seattle Seahawks. Look at us being in total agreement. I also have the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head that, yes, Bryce Young's size will lead to some questions, but nobody can deny his talent, similar with Russell Wilson. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to come out the gates and be a Russell Wilson-type guy, but I do think that it's worth noting that question, the reason why he fell all the way into the third round was because people and teams weren't sure that his size were able to hold up. In the case of Bryce Young, I don't think he's going to fall that far at all just because he has a more impressive um, college football resume but I do think that you put him on that offense with an improving offensive line a solid run game and those great wide receivers Bryce Young could really make some noise but all right let's go ahead and look at some moves around the league starting with the NFC West and that is the Arizona Cardinals extending their starting safety Jalen Thompson to a three-year contract extension worth nearly 40 million dollars and 24 and a half million guarantee um, another move made by the Cardinals was making a trade for former starting cornerback for the Las Vegas Raiders, Trayvon Mullen, bringing him in for only a conditional seventh round pick that could become a sixth round pick. Form further executing that the Raiders in the draft just do not mix. Uh, the Steelers have also been pretty busy trading for uh, outside linebacker Malik Reed from the uh, Denver Broncos for a late draft pick, as well as bringing in some reinforcements along their offensive line and getting Jesse Davis from the Minnesota Vikings. And speaking of those Vikings, the Vikings made probably the most intriguing trade of the past week, bringing in former Eagles wide receiver Jalen Ray um, into the fold uh, they were able to get him in exchange for a seventh round pick and a 2024 fourth, fifth round pick that could turn into a fourth now uh, there's another trade I definitely want to get into but let's kind of pause right here Jalen Rager to the Vikings very interesting he was the pick right before Justin Jefferson goes to the Vikings history we know how that goes but Ethan how do you like this move for both sides um, for Jalen Rager, I think it's a good move simply because you get a fresh scenery. You also, um, you might get some of the pressure of being the guy that was drafted right before um, Justin Jefferson off of your back because you guys are being the same locker <laughs> excuse me, in the same locker room. So people aren't going to try to compare you. They're just going to try to see how you guys can coexist on the team. Um, and I think for the East, I mean, for the Vikings, it's a good move simply because, in my opinion, the Vikings have one of a sleeper great wide receiver duo in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And you're adding a former first-round talent to this wide receiver court. Yes, we don't fully know what his potential could be, but just imagine, like, if he doesn't get his greatest Justin Jefferson, he gets a a step below that level, he still could be really great. And then once Steven retires because he's older in years, you could potentially have two dynamic young wide receivers on the same team. Yeah, I like this move for Rager for he gets a change of scenery. And as you mentioned, it's going to be a lot less pressure. He's coming into a team that firmly knows who their top two wide receivers are. And really their third one, too, because K.J. Osborne has been a guy who's made a lot of noise over this past year. And then for the Vikings, I mean, it never hurts to have wide receiver depth. 
And in getting a low-risk guy like Jalen Rager, who I think provides them that speed element that they have not really had, I think that it could end up working wonders. I don't think he's going to come in and have a major impact by any means, but I think he could realistically give you about 475 to 530 receiving yards, maybe a couple touchdowns, and kind of like you said, just kind of learn behind the great wide receivers in front of him and hopefully begin to really feel his impact a bit later on. But that's not even the, probably the most big-name trade of the week. That is this Philadelphia Eagles successfully trading for uh, safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson of the New Orleans Saints and did so relatively cheaply. They get Gardner-Johnson in a Saints seventh-round pick in 2025, while the Saints will receive the Eagles' fifth-round pick this year and two of their worst sixth-round picks in 2024. This deal comes as a bit of a shock. However, the Saints and Johnson, unfortunately, were unable to come together on a contract extension, reportedly being around $4 million apart. And to make matters worse for the Saints. Shortly after this trade was announced, Marcus May, who they signed in free agency from the Jets, was actually arrested and could possibly be facing a suspension. So let's start on the more positive note. If you're the Eagles, what does John Gardner Johnson's presence bring? And then if you're the Saints, what does it mean to lose Gardner Johnson? Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind of what he brings is he, br- he bring in an irritator. This is the same guy that in a playoff game, if I'm not mistaken, he got, I think it was Anthony Miller. No, uh, you talking about Javon Williams. Yeah, that was a regular season game. Yeah, Javon Williams. So, yeah, but you bring, you bring in a guy that can get under people's skin. Like, in the, in the, in the midst of a game, he had a guy with him in the first hand. And even in practice, there was a video of him and Michael Thomas getting into a fight in practice. And I think the downside is, like, from the footage, he hasn't won any of the fights. But you could bring an irritating – you could bring in an irritating presence, and that's something that you could use in the secondary. Um, in the case of the Saints, I think you just – you lost a – I'm not going to say a critical piece, but a very familiar piece of that defense. And when you're going into a year where, like, it's like no in no way form or fashion are people saying the Saints could win the Super Bowl, but a lot of people have um, have some good expectations for the Saints because if you get you bring in a healthy James Winston, you have Alvin Kamara who's a top five back. You bring you bring in a Mark Ingram, a guy that can um, be a change of pace and carry some of the love for Alvin Kamara, and like you have that dominant defense. Like, you could look up and you can potentially see when the smoke clears, like the Saints being a sleeper AFC championship team. And there's going to be that bothering defense. And so, like, losing someone that's been so familiar with their defense, that could be a, a nice size blow. Yeah, so I'm going to start off uh, from the Saints' perspective. Prior to the arrest of, of Marcus May, I. I still felt comfortable enough with what they had in tow. I mean, their cornerbacks are still really solid. They bring in Tyron Matthew, who I think is one of the biggest steals of free agency. Um, You have Elante Taylor, who they drafted out of Tennessee, who they're expecting to see a lot more from. And then Marcus May, if he's able to play, I think that's still really solid. But I think that you really hit on the head. I mean, you lose some of that familiarity in your secondary. I think that even though Marcus May is a talented player in his own right, 
I was more excited to see Gardner Johnson and Matthew on the field together as opposed to May and Matthew, especially because May is coming off of a serious knee injury. But I think time will tell. I think that the pieces around them, especially in that front seven, is going to help make their secondary still stout and allow them a lot of opportunities to make plays. Um, but with regards to the Eagles, I mean, I love it. Like you mentioned, he's an irritating player, but also he's a really good player. I think that everyone would really attest to the fact that while what we saw from the Eagles front seven has been really inspiring, that back end, especially as safety, had been a hole coming into this point. There were so many talks of them possibly make a trade for Baltimore's truck Chuck Clark or um, Jesse Bates of Cincinnati. Just And seeing them not stand pat and actually being aggressive when going after a safety that, like we all know, was a position of need, I think was a terrific move for them, and I think that it's going to really help them out. Um, but all right, let's go ahead and move on to some other big moves. And that's my brother-in-law getting a big extension with the Denver Broncos. Um, Earlier this week, he signed a five-year, $245 million contract extension that includes $165 million guaranteed. This deal ties Wilson to the Denver Broncos for a total of seven years and $296. Ethan, you and I have both seen the several years of struggle for Denver to find that starting quarterback in the post-Payton Manning era. So now that we know that Russell Wilson is going to be there for at least the next seven years, what do you think they're going to be able to accomplish? Um, at best, I'll, I'll give it a three, three layers. At best, win another Super Bowl. At worst, be a perennial playoff team that maybe makes the AFC Championship game or two. And at worst, are like a um a um a wild card team for multiple years. I could see that. I think that um, of course, you want a Super Bowl. And I don't know if you watched the press conference or any snippets of it, but he talked about the money and he said that it really wasn't about how much he was going to get. It was about how many Super Bowls you're going to win. And, of course, when you make statements like that, everybody's expecting you out the gate to, you know, be a Super Bowl contending team. I love Russ and I like what the Broncos are doing, but I don't think at this moment I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're ready just yet. I think there's some pieces that they need. But I do think that they're going to be a perennial playoff team that has a chance to make it to another Super Bowl. And, hey, maybe they pull a Peyton Manning where they reach one and don't win it, but in Russ's last year he goes out with a Super Bowl win. Fingers crossed, as long as they don't, they don't beat Baltimore to get to that point. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some of the biggest injury news coming into this week. Um, three new players of uh, well-renown are added to the pup list. That's Miami Dolphins cornerback Byron Jones, Buffalo Bills cornerback Tredavious White, and rookie offensive tackle for the New Orleans Saints Trevor Penning have all been added to the pup list. Um, for their own respective reasons. And unfortunately, you had an injury uh, hit close to home and uh, outside linebacker Harold Landry being out for this season after tearing his ACL. Landry's coming off of a career year where he posted 12 sacks, earned him a big payday. So, Ethan, you and I talked about this off air, but looking at your roster, with him being gone, do you think that you guys are going to try to bring in another pass rusher or try to keep what you have in-house? Um, knowing John, like, 
I think he's going to look to bring someone in. But also just knowing the structure of this team and, like, the structure of our head coach and Mike Verbal, I could also see it being a thing where it's like we're just going to kind of next man it up and be like, hey, we're the next guy on the depth chart. You worked hard this offseason. Now it's time to put their work in the, um, into use. So I'm 50-50. Like, would it surprise me if I look up and I see, and like, I don't even know a top outside linebacker to create right now. I might have to look to see. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if I were to look up and see, like, the Titans sign, like a top, not even a top, but like a veteran outside linebacker. Like, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised like if I looked up and saw that they were that they did sign a veteran linebacker. But I also wouldn't be surprised if like I look up and it's week ten and we haven't signed anyone. So I'm like fifty fifty. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, I'm trying to pull up uh the f- available free agents. Honestly, I don't think that there are that many left. Um, but like you mentioned, I mean, the Titans are not a team who have been that flashy. Typically, they like to keep things in-house. Um, but with that being said, a guy like D. Ford, I could see y'all trying to bring him in to uh, bring in some pass rush. Maybe Devin Kennard, formerly of the Cardinals. But other than that, I, I could really see y'all kind of rocking with what y'all have and then hoping for the best. I mean, you guys have been a team who have gotten a lot of production from guys who kind of flown under the radar and have typically kind of drafted well on their defensive side of the ball. So I think y'all make it work. Or like you and I were talking about, maybe this is the year that you get Bud Dupree to perform at the level that he's getting paid at. But we shall absolutely see. But all right, we're going to go a little bit out of order. Um, Instead of doing Believable or Buffoonery at the end of our – at the end of our discussion, we're going to do it a little bit sooner. But before we get to that, let's make our NFL award predictions. It's the perfect time to do it before week one. So, Ethan, in your opinion, who's going to win Coach of the Year this season? Coach of the Year? Uh, being honest, I'm, I'm probably going to say Andy Reid. I think it's going to be a situation to where Given the fact that they lost Tyreek Hill, all of this hype around what they've lost, and you're going to potentially look up and see the Chiefs in the thick of the AFC um, championship race, and like they can still end up being like a top three seed, I think it's going to be Andrew. I'm going to go in the same division, but I'm going to go Brandon Staley. So much has been made about the Chargers, thinking that they're going to be the team to break out. They're going to be the ones to have all this success, blah, blah, blah. But I think that what we saw from Brandon Staley, even before all these additions that they had, is that they're going to be a competitive squad, that they are going to get push you to your limit. And even if they don't win, they're at least going to make it tough for you. And I think that this year with the pieces that they add in place, I think that that could really help them get over some of the humps that they couldn't last year. 
All right, uh, as for comeback player of the year, I'm going to the Big Easy. I'm going quarterback Jameis Winston. Coming off of last season's performance, he showed that he deserved a right to be a starter in this league, was 5-0 and as the Saints starter prior to suffering his knee injury, and it's looking like he's going to be coming back healthy and better than ever, factoring in the other weapons that New Orleans has put around him, such as getting Jarvis Landry, um, a healthy Alvin Kamara, um, and then another healthy Michael Thomas. Offensive line, they're hoping to be better. I think you put all those pieces in pace, and so that could lead to a really big year from Jameis Winston. Uh, I'm in agreement with Jameis because my original my original pick was going to be Derrick Henry, but I think he doesn't. I don't think he qualifies for the award because he kind of technically came back last season. So with that being said, I'm gonna go with Jameis. All right, who do you have for defensive rookie of the year? Defensive rookie of the year. Uh, I got Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, I do too. I, I wanted to go like a little off the wall, but I mean, he's just so good. I I just think that he's gonna make a seamless transition to the league. Probably get about seven, seven and a half sacks. Be the best uh, P player on uh, Detroit's defense. All right, offensive rookie of the year. Once again, I want to go a bit off the wall, but I mean, I'm loving what I've seen so far of Brees Hall. I think that especially with Zach Wilson potentially out, the receivers that they've gotten who've who've had a lot of you know attention, Garrett Wilson, other ones around the league. I think it's going to be a bit of a slow burn for them to really get themselves going, as opposed to a guy like Brees Hall, who I think can have an instantaneous impact on that offense. So I got Brees. Uh, I have another rookie running back. I have um, Damon Pierce for the Houston Texans. Like, I've seen the way that he's run the ball in the preseason. And, like, dude ain't playing no games. Like, he's, he's a, he runs aggressive, he runs angry, and he runs powerful. And, I mean, given the fact that the Texans don't really have and if that much else going on offense, I think he's going to get a heavy doses. I drafted him in one of my fantasy teams, kind of looking at it the same way you're looking at it and hoping that he's going to ball out. And even though I hate Florida and I don't want Florida to have nothing, I do hope that Damian Priest, I mean, I Priest, oh my gosh, Damian Pierce has a good year, if not for any other reason, but I want something on this Lovey Smith-led Texans team to look good. All right, who do you have for defensive player of the year? I got a bit of a dark horse. Defensive player of the year. Uh, hmm. I'm going to let you go first. All right, like I said, it's a bit of a dark horse, but I got Joey Bosa. I think that... What we saw last year was Joey Bosa was easily the best pass rusher and arguably the best defensive player that the Chargers had a season ago, but he had absolutely no help along that defensive front. Nobody else was really getting pressure, and he had to carry the load and still put forth a great year. I think that this time around with Khalil Mack on his opposite side, giving him the most talented um, – person to kind of be in the pass rushing duo with him since Melvin Ingram's prime and the upgrades they've made to their defensive line getting guys like Sebastian Joseph Day I think that Joey Bosa is going to really explode this year and come out the woodworks a bit so I'm going to go to a guy that's in the same division as the former defensive player of the year I, it took me a minute to think about it, but then once I remembered this name, it was a no-brainer. Miles Garrett. I'm going. Yeah, I'm going Miles Garrett. Uh, 
scared. That's fair. I think like like I think outside of TJ Watt last year, it was not it wasn't a pass rusher that was better than Miles Garrett last year. Not besides TJ Watt. No, I 100% agree. I mean, in looking at the first half of the season, I mean, Miles Garrett looked like the bona fide uh, defensive player of the year. Unfortunately, he was kind of unable to carry on that momentum. But, I mean, I would not be shocked if this is finally the year that he's able to bring it home. All right, offensive player of the year, who you got? Offensive player of the year. Uh, I'm going to go Calumary. Okay. What makes you go Kyler? I think, like, in the totality of the season, if everyone, like, if everyone stays healthy, you look at the weapons that he has. Like, he has Hollywood Brown, who for right now would probably be his number one. But once DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins comes back, he could be a bona fide number two. You have Rondell Moore, who could be a bona fide number three. And the, you have, you bring in Zach Ertz, who's a great pass catcher at tight end, something he hasn't really had. So, like, you bring in, you have all of those weapons. And then you have, like, James Conner, who showed that he can make, he can catch passes out of the backfield. And you just add in the added factor of his legs. Like, I think this is going to be a problem. I respect that. Um, I'm going wide receiver, and I'm going my main man, Justin Jefferson. And this has nothing to do with bias. I mean, bringing over Kevin O'Connell, who was the offensive coordinator in L.A., we saw just how great Cooper Cup was. I mean, was earned the Triple Crown and ended up winning the Super Bowl MVP. Now, I'm not saying Jay Jettas is going to reach that pinnacle of success, but I do think he has a chance to achieve the Triple Crown, especially with this new-look offense that's going to be a bit more pass-happy. And who does Kirk Cousin like the ball, throwing the ball to more than Justin Jefferson? Nobody, and that's because he routinely makes plays. I think that in the first two years of the of his NFL career, he has been undoubtedly a top-10 wide receiver. I think that this is the year that cements him in the top three spot. But all right, now it's time for the big one, MVP. Who you got? My MVP is probably going to be the big, one of the biggest star horses. I got Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't be mad at that. It would definitely cut into Baltimore's finances if we ain't already signed them, but I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, Unfortunately, because it's a quarterback award, I have a quarterback as well. I'm going Justin Herbert. I really wanted to go with my boy Joe Burrow, but realistically, I think that this has the chance to be a huge year for Justin Herbert. I think that his defense is going to be much improved from a year ago. I think they're going to be able to create a lot more turnovers, which is going to give him a lot more opportunities to work his magic, get guys open. I think that their offense, even though it hasn't made any major changes to that receiving group I think is going to get better. Not to mention I think they got to upgrade at tight end with Gerald Everett. Their offensive line should be better with Zion Johnson coming into the fold. I think that there are a lot of things to love about Justin Herbert and what he's able to accomplish, especially because last year he was a top 10 quarterback in this league. I think that he has a real chance to really take that next step up and take his teams to some high heights. But all right, so let's do something fun, as we always do. Let's give our Super Bowl predictions, but let's start out on a lighter note of the Super Bowl we want to see. 
in a perfect world, I would have my Baltimore Ravens go up against um, New or the New Orleans Saints. I think I picked this game last year. I would love to see Jameis Winston have a lot of playoff success. You already know I love my LSU guys, Tyron Matthew, Jarvis Landry. I would, and plus, there's other players on the Saints who I want to see get that postseason success. Because let's be honest, they've gotten close, but they just haven't gotten there. But I don't want anybody hoisting that Lombardi more than I want Baltimore to do it. But, all right, what about you? Perfect world, what's your Super Bowl? Tennessee Titans versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Naturally. All right, now to the real part, the nitty-gritty. Who do you actually think will be in the Super Bowl and who will win? Okay. So, NFC... I am going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. And the and like some reasoning behind it is like I'm not even talking about the offense. I'm solely talking about the defense. Their defense is amazing. Like you you were one you were the best run defense last season. You don't re sign and dominate suit a move that everyone kinda just it's looked at like, oh, that's wild. But yet, you look up and they they signed Akeem Hicks, one of my favorite players in the NFL. And when he's healthy, he's one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the game. And you pair that up with Vito Vail. And then you have Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Berry. JPP didn't have, come back, by the way. Sorry. That's right, that's right, yo. But still, like you have Shaq Barrett, and not only that, you have the, in my opinion, the best linebacker duo in the NFL. Yes, sir. And, huh? I was agreeing with you. Yeah, like you bring back the best linebacker duo in the NFL. Like, I'm not even talking about the offense, because I don't care about the offense. I don't like offensive players, honestly, outside of running backs. I'm just thinking about solely, like, what they have on defense. They're going to be a top five defense in the league. Okay. Uh, so this is AFC. The NFC. AFC, this is where it's hard. Uh, AFC, I'm actually going to say, I'm going to say the Chiefs. Okay, rematch of the Super Bowl of a couple years ago. Yeah. And the winner, I know I just hyped up that Chiefs defense. I mean, it, the Buccaneers defense, but I think the Chiefs are going to win it. Respect. All right. So I know it's a long shot for this to happen, but in my spirit, I, I think we're going to get it. And I think it's going to be the battle for LA. I think we're going to get a Rams versus Chargers Super Bowl. Um, looking at the Rams to start things off, I think that, let's be honest, every team in the NFL goes into the offseason trying to improve. But when you're a team like the Chargers who already have this quote-unquote all-star team and then you don't lose too many pieces, 
I mean, right now, probably the biggest losses are Andrew Whitworth via retirement and Odell. But you still got a chance to bring back Odell. And even if you don't bring back Odell, you sign Allen Robinson, who is bound to have a big comeback year. Then you factor in the fact that their defense, in my opinion, got better because... Yes, their secondary may have a couple of questions, but they bring back Troy Hill, who was a consistent slot corner for them. I love Jacoby Durant. I think he's going to have a big year. And most importantly, you bring in Bobby Wagner, who's still a top 10 interior linebacker. I think he's going to have a great year just because he's flourishing because of the other stars around him, and that's going to create more opportunities. I know I've had a few questions about Matthew Stafford's possible limitations with his arm, and that's still there. But if his arm can hold up, I just think that they're going to once again be the class of the NFC and then looking at the AFC for the Chargers I typically don't like to buy into all the hype around younger teams and developing teams but I I will give I will make the exception for the Chargers because I feel like they have all the pieces to do it um Justin Herbert franchise quarterback like I said had some tremendous games last year looked like a top 10 talent a year ago receiving core Mike Williams when he's healthy is dominant Keenan Allen one of if not the best route runner in the league Austin Eckler an explosive running back they add um Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M I think that he's going to be more of that ground and pound guy that they need defensively Khalil Mack JC Jackson you get Derwin James back healthy Need I say more? I just, I think that the Chargers are that nice mix of youth and experience that you need to really have a lot of success. And I think that that success, especially if they can stay healthy, is going to carry over into the playoffs. But with that being said, I do think that the Rams repeat as Super Bowl champions if they do match up. But all right, before we make our long-awaited game picks, let's go ahead and run through a quick game of believable or buffoonery. And let's start off with the Dallas Cowboys. As we've mentioned earlier, and we don't, I don't think either of us believe that the Cowboys have gotten better. If anything, they've gotten worse, losing Amari Cooper, um, Connor Williams, Lyle Collins, and then most recently Tyron Smith suffering an injury that's going to keep him out for potentially up to three months. However, it doesn't seem like they've done much to really recoup those losses, so much so that uh, David Hellman of the Speakers. Speak for Yourself podcast said, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys are doing a lot to help their franchise quarterback. To me, it looks like they're setting him up to be a scapegoat. So, believable or buffoonery, the Cowboys are setting Dak Prescott up to fail. Yes. I mean, you... I understand you had the whole aspect of the potential of having C.D. Lamb step in and become the new wide receiver one. But you let your wide receiver one go for what a fifth round pick? Yeah. Um, like you let him go for for chump change. You let two. You let two. And I granted, I understand you're not able to sign everyone back, but you let two of your better offensive linemen just go. And now with Tyrone Smith being injured, another key offensive lineman, you signed. You sign someone to replace him, but he's not like a a great um, pickup. I think he'll be serviceable, but you didn't really make any moves to recoup to recoup um, the losses that you took, and it's gonna show. Like it's gonna show when 
your quarterback is probably going to get hit more than he did last season because of, of the losses on the O-line. And you also let your wide receiver one go in the midst of, like, your wide receiver two being hurt, and then you lost your wide receiver three in free agency as well. So it's like, I I think, and that's the thing about Dak, like, he stepped up to be the Cowboys quarterback, and he, he you know, they love him. But it's like when they're not going to be at the standard of which they they think they should be, like that's when you're going to see again. Can is that Prescott really the guy that can lead the Cowboys to the Super Bowl? And it's like, man, if he could, he might could if you actually properly equipped him with the thing that he needs. And like he's had it for a couple of seasons, and you can't, you know, some of it I think is like coaching. Miscues, i.e., when they lost to the 49ers this past playoff, like that was a coaching miscue. Um, I don't fully think that they're going to scapegoat that. I think more of the scapegoating is going to come on Michael Garfield. Yeah. Yeah, I'm unbelievable as well. I do think that, I, I'll say this. Dak Prescott has a much higher job security than Mike McCarthy. I think that Mike McCarthy is gone this year. Um, if they don't make it at least to the second round of playoffs, which I don't think either of us think that he will. Uh, but, yeah, I think that they really have not done him many favors. If anything, they're just kind of like not necessarily verbatim what they're doing, but it feels like it's like, all right, Dak, this is what you got. Make it work. And if he doesn't make it work, then I think, of course, it's going to be the question of, oh, is Dak Prescott a top-level quarterback, blah, 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 rather than the question of, well, y'all really didn't give him that much talent. Like, I don't hate them not bringing back or them trading Amari Cooper because I do think that CeeDee Lamb is the future, and I think that CeeDee Lamb is going to be terrific. But you also have to take into account Michael Gallup is not going to be available early in the season after suffering his knee injury. James Washington, the guy who you brought in, he's going to be out for several weeks, and then you're going to be missing an, uh, And then you're asking a lot out of the rookie they just drafted who um, whose name literally just – Flipped off my tongue, but I'll remember when I do not care. But it's just so many. Oh, Jalen Tolbert. But it's still just so many different pieces that you're hoping work. And I don't think that that's fair for your quarterback unless you really believe that he's going to be able to turn corners that um, that are are going to be difficult to overcome. So I think I think it's believable as well. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to somebody who. I think the NFL has tried their best to forget about for a bit, and that is former NFL head coach John Gruden. As we all know, he was fired from the Raiders last season after it came out some offensive emails speaking negatively about the NFLPA quarter, I mean, president, as well as also talking stuff about uh, homo. <laughs> homosexual players and people and then of course Colin Kaepernick needless to say it was a lot of stuff that was said however John Gruden wants everybody to know that he is still in fact a good person um in a recent appearance he said this of his firing he said I'm ashamed about what has come about in these emails I'll make no excuses for it it's shameful but I am a good person he also added I go to church. I've been married for 31 years and got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes, but I don't think anybody in here hasn't. And I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully I get another shot. Believable or buffoonery, John Gruden will coach in the NFL again someday. That boy's gone. Nah, it's, 
I hate that statement because it's like being honest and I'm just gonna say this. Like, because you say you go to church, that doesn't make you a good person. Yeah. Or because you say, I've been married for 30 plus years and have three great boys, that doesn't define what makes you a great person. Like, yes, those are great attributes, but like, to have, and like for me as someone who works in ministry, like, I think it's great that you go to church, but that isn't something that you just start out there. Like, oh, I've got a church, I'm a great person. It's, so, no. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that too. I think that especially in a more politically a correct world that we live in, like emails like that, you can't really come back from because then it's like whoever brings you on, because there's no way in hell he's getting brought on as a head coach, especially immediately. But if you join somebody's coaching staff, everybody's going to be like, oh, well, does such and such coach subscribe to the same beliefs as John Gruden because he brought him in? That's a terrible public image. And then people are going to be like, oh, is he racist? Is he homophobic? Is he sexist? It's just going to be question after question. And being an NFL coach is already hard enough without having to deal with the other BS on the outside. I don't think that anybody's going to want to take that on. I don't think any one other team wants to deal with that drama, especially considering even at his time at the helm in Las Vegas, they weren't that good. So, yeah, no, I'm calling big buffoonery on that one as well. Uh, speaking of uh, some big moves, though, after being unable to find a trade partner for Jimmy Garoppolo, the San Francisco 49ers have made the decision to bring Jimmy G back into the fold, making him the highest-paid backup quarterback in the league. His, de his uh, deal has been restructured to a one-year contract. That's going to pay up to worth about $6.5 mil in base salary, fully guaranteed. Believable or buffoonery, Jimmy G will start at least one game for the 49ers this season. Uh, I definitely think it's believable. I think it's, um, like, I don't fully know the health history of Trey Lennox, but you, could, you never rule out injury, but I also just think that it might reach a point to where, like, his play, he's going to have a rough patch in his play. And, like, the, four, the thing about it, which is why, like, this move to Trey Lennox has been so baffling to us all, it's because the 49ers have a roster that is set to win now. And, like, granted, I think the thing of it is, you look at Trey Lane, see, like, okay, he has all of these dynamic attributes that are similar to a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or some of these elite level quarterbacks. But the thing of it is, like, you have to develop those things and you're kind of just throwing them out. And granted, I don't think Jimmy G is like the the quarterback um, that's going to save your franchise per se. But the proof is in the pudding of like when he's on the field, he wins games. He's taking you to a Super Bowl and to an NFC Championship game. So I think at some point he will start for the 49ers. Yeah, I'm say believable as well, just because. They're saying that they're giving the keys of the franchise to uh, Trey Lance, and I believe that they are. I mean, I think that at this point, you spend a third overall pick on him. You have to give him that opportunity sooner rather than later. But I do think that it could work one of three ways. One, he gets injured, 
Jimmy G comes in. Two, he's not playing to the level that you want him to. And so you bring Jimmy G in for a game just to see what you got. And then, or three, they have a high enough seed. They lock up a playoff spot. So week 18, they realize it's not worth risking their starting quarterback. Jimmy G comes in for the game. Either way, I do think at some point Jimmy G is going to play. All right, one last uh, question before we go ahead to our game picks. As we all know, it seems like once things happen on social media, it blows up tremendously. And that has been something that has happened in the case of Lamar Jackson. Following the big contracts of both Kyler Murray and now Russell Wilson, fans have been wondering when the Baltimore Ravens are going to pay Lamar. While it does not seem like any deal is going to be done prior to his deadline, it seems that there could be another team that Lamar is looking at. Um, It was reported that earlier last week, um, in Lamar Jackson's likes on Twitter, he liked a post that said, you can, you both can come cry in the Miami Dolphins uni, tears of joy when we hoist the Lombardi, and it's an edited picture of Lamar in a Dolphins jersey. We do all know that Lamar is a South Florida boy, so believable or buffoonery if Baltimore is unable to work out a deal with Lamar he's going to be on the fast track to Miami uh, I'm actually going to say believe I think and the reason being is just like in Miami you have already built roster to win now like you have two dynamic wide receivers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle if you're able to bring Mike Kosicki back for another year, you already have a, a good tight end in place. And we all know that Lamar loves his tight ends. And you have, like granted, we haven't seen his play calling as a head coach, but as an offensive coordinator, you have a very innovative mind as an offensive coordinator that loves to run the ball. So, like, I could see Lamar making that move and it could be a really, really interesting and dynamic type of team. So I'm gonna say believable. I'll say believable as well. Um not only that, but I do think that once you get he gets to go back home to play. Um, and then I think that just because Miami is just one of those teams, like kind of like the Broncos that have been so deficient at quarterback that we're like, they will take just about anything. I know we talk about how long of a gap has been between the Broncos and Peyton Manning, but I mean, honestly, the Dolphins really haven't had a guy since Dan Marino. And that goes back almost 30, 40 years. And while they have had some solid play at the position like Ryan Tannehill and things like that, there hasn't been much to really get excited about. You bring Lamar in and you finally have excitement in Miami. You finally believe that you're a Super Bowl contender. So I think, hands down, if he don't stay in Baltimore, Miami would be the obvious spot. But then this, this begs an interesting question. Let's say Lamar doesn't end up re-signing with Baltimore. But Tua Tagovailoa has a Pro Bowl caliber year. Do you still get rid of Tua to get Lamar? Mm. Me personally, I'm saying if it was my, if it were my decision, yes. Yeah, I would do it too. No offense to Tua. I think Tua's great, but I don't think Tua inspires as much excitement as Lamar would. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Week one picks. 
I'm excited. It's always one of my favorite things to do on the show just because it's football, baby. We're back. And we kick things off this Thursday. Season opener. Los Angeles Rams host the Buffalo Bills. Ethan, who you got? Rams. I do too. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Detroit Lions. I got Eagles. Eagles. Indianapolis Colts versus the Houston Texans. I'm going to go Colts. Colts. Carolina Panthers versus the Cleveland Browns. I, th- I think uh, Baker going to wake up feeling dangerous. I got Panthers. Yeah. I just want Nick Chubb to go crazy because you're my fantasy game. Yeah, that's it. Got to. Oh, I, I totally understand. For fantasy purposes, like he can rush for 200 yards, but I, I, I still don't think they're going to win. Um, Next up, San Francisco 49ers versus the Chicago Bears. I got Niners. I got Niners. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Washington Commanders. I don't know if this counts as an upset, but I'm going Jags. I'm going Jags as well. New England Patriots versus the Miami Dolphins. This may be an upset, but I'm going Patriots. I'm going Dolphins. Cincinnati Bengals versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Bengals. Yeah, I got Bengals. Baltimore Ravens versus the New York Jets. Who? There's speculation that Zach Wilson may play, but in a perfect world, I want to see Joe Flacco. I got Baltimore, though. I got Baltimore. New Orleans Saints versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Saints. Kansas City Chiefs versus Arizona Cardinals. I got Chiefs. Mm, it's tough. Is I it though? Chiefs. I mean, cause it's, it's it's the new look Chiefs where it's like they they don't get the same dynamic. Like we don't know what they're gonna look like. Yeah. Yeah, but I I don't. Who on that defense is gonna stop them? They, they especially in that front seven with Chandler Jones gone. I don't know who's really gonna get pressure. No, di- no disrespect to JJ Watt, but he's more of a run stopper now. I mean, look at it. Look at JJ. That might make that might some sense. You never know. All right. Well, who you got? I got Chiefs. Okay. All right. I know a game that you're gonna be watching closely: Tennessee Titans versus the New York Giants. I got Titans. I got Titans. Minnesota Vikings versus the Green Bay Packers. It's always tough to predict. I'm going to go Vikings, though. I'm picking the Vikings, though. All right, this is going to be a fun one. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Las Vegas Raiders. I got Chargers. Oh, this is hard. I got Chargers. I know, it's tough, but for me, it really came down to, especially after the trade of Trayvon Mullen, who's going to cover in in Vegas? Rocky Asin, maybe? Nate Hobbs? Not feeling comfortable about their secondary. All right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Dallas Cowboys Sunday Night Football. Honestly, I could have deal without seeing this game again week one, but I got Bucks. I got books in the shellacker. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be pretty. And then finally, Monday Night Football, brother-in-law, Russell Wilson, makes his valiant return to Seattle to face the Seahawks. I got Broncos. I got Broncos. All right. Before we move on to the NBA, let's talk the offensive, defensive, 
and rookie players we are watching, as well as the team we are going to call out. So let's start off on the offensive side. I'm calling out Baker Mayfield. He can say that he didn't actually say he was going to F up the Browns, but you can't tell me he has not said that at some point. And then, I mean, he's already got new merch dropping. Probably my favorite of his new merch is the shirt that he has that says uh, that uh, he is, quote, unquote, off the leash. This is going to be such a fun game for Baker. Either he's going to play like crap or he's going to have the best game of his career. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, yeah. Offensive player, I guess I'm going to be calling out. I'm going to call out Justin Fields. I think that, granted, I know he doesn't have the best talent around him. And granted, I know he's with a new coach and staff and all the other things. But I think that, like, he, the thing is, like, when it's your second year, out of the second year quarterbacks, you've been the one that's had the biggest question marks. Yeah. Like we've seen we've seen Trevor Lawrence look like okay, he's putting in the work, he understands like the game is and it's fast. Zach Wilson before he got hurt, he looks like he was under he might have been under the same transformation of being a guy that was starting to better understand the uh, the defense in the NFL. But Justin Fields, like, Chicago's been wanting a quarterback for a long time. And they feel like you're the guy, so I'm just going to put their pressure on him. All right, defensive player I'm watching is Bud Dupree. We talked about it a little bit ago when we were discussing Harold Landry's injury. I think that this is finally the time for Bud Dupree to show that he can be a team's leading edge rusher, especially without a running mate. I think that – and when you look at the Giants' offensive line, yes, they made some improvements, but I sp- still expect the Titans to be able to get some pressure. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Bud Dupree is going to be able to do. Yeah, I'm actually in the grades, you know, as a Titans fan. When I heard the news of Harold Landry, I was immediately like, okay, it sucks. Then I started to think, like, I was like, well, we have Bud. But my expectation was for Bud to have an improvement this offseason, on this season, being paired up with Harold Landry. So now with all the pressure on him, I just want to see how he responds. Like, he's getting paid by the top player. Can he, I don't even need him to produce like a top player. I just need him to produce like a slightly above average player in his position. So like I'm not looking for like fifteen any like fifteen plus sacks. But I just give it a team and I think we'll be straight. That's fair. All right, and then rookie I'm watching, another Carolina Panther, Iki Aquanu, earned the starting left tackle role. That's awesome. But his first real test is going to be Miles Garrett, who heard the rumors of Baker saying he was going to F them up. So it's already hard enough going up against uh, Miles Garrett on a regular day, but you get him motivated, that's going to be tough for the young gun. Uh, you know where I'm going. Of course. I'm going with Joey Davis. I don't, like, I just want to see that massive man of the man just destroy people. And I feel like he will. And it's going to be glorious. Shame, shame, shame. Good luck to the Lions offensive line. All right, and then finally, I'm calling out the Minnesota Vikings. 
this it's always tough to predict a Packers Vikings game, but if the Vikings were going to win a game against them, this would be the time. They have the Packers have so many young wide receivers they're trying to get into the fold. They got some really solid defensive players, but I don't think they have anybody in their secondary who could still hold a candle to Jay Jettis. And then plus you're healthy. You got your squad back. Your offensive line is supposedly better. And most importantly, Dalvin Cook is back in the fold. This is your time, Minnesota. Show why this is your year to take the NFC North. Um, the team that I'm calling out, I'm calling out the Philadelphia Eagles. And the reason being is because all throughout this offseason, myself and numerous people have said, like, outside of the quarterback position, the Eagles have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. And I rightfully agree with their statement. I rightfully believe their statement. But the thing about it is, like, you can't win football games solely based on talent. Like, you have to perform on the field. And this is one of those, like, trap games because you have a Detroit Lions team that's highly motivated. And, like, it's been getting a lot of publicity from being on hard knocks. And, like, honestly, they're one of the, like, I think they're, like, the underdog team that everybody kind of likes, unless you're a Packers or a Bears or a Minnesota fan. But, like, this is the type of game where it's, like, you have to go out and you have to make a statement early. Like, you have to dominate them and prove a statement, especially when you're the team that people, some people, can even, like, as a dark, dark horse picture in the Super Bowl, like, you have to, like, put your foot on their necks and just, like, choke them out. That's fair. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. All right, so starting off with some unfortunate injury news out of Chicago. Lonzo Ball is doubtful to be ready for the start of the regular season after suffering some uh, lingering pain and discomfort following his meniscus surgery on his left knee. There's no timetable as to when he will return, but unfortunately it does not seem like it's going to be an immediate thing. Um, making other returns, though, it looks like the Nets are bound to sign a forward, Markeith Morris, to bring him into the fold to provide some solid veteran experience into that front court. And now let's get to the exciting stuff. Finally, a trade. While Kevin Durant was not dealt this offseason, Donovan Mitchell was to a team that I don't think either of us had really seen on the radar and it was the Cleveland Cavaliers the Utah Jazz traded Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs in exchange for Laurie Marketing, Ocha Agnajbi, Colin Sexton three um three unprotected first round picks and two pick swaps in addition to this deal Colin Sexton signed a four-year 72 million dollar contract extension via the sign and trade that's that's a pretty solid deal, especially considering the Cavs did not have to give too much up, meaning that Donovan Mitchell, with three years left on his contract, will be joining a lineup, which includes all-stars Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and a future all-star and Evan Mobley. Ethan, let's look at it from the Cavs' side to start things off. How would you grade this trade? Hey, plus, I think, like, Donovan Mitchell, he fits that timeline, like, he... He's old enough to where those guys can like see him as a vet, but he's young enough to where he doesn't his 
think it's a great trade too and I mean people are harping on the three first round picks but we forget just how young the Cavaliers actually are and so because they are so young it's not like they're about they're trying to get rid of aging players they're not trying to replace guys like Darius Garland or Mobley or Allen because like I said like they're still early to mid 20s and still have a lot more growth to do and so because of that I think that the Cavs really knock this trade out of the park you know at the time of course when we were talking about potential trade targets I don't like I said I don't think either of us mentioned Cleveland but now it makes so much sense as to him being there and how well that he could do so let's perfect world let's predict the playoffs with if this core group can all stay healthy what seed do you think that the Cavs can end up with because I think they can go as high as four and at worst maybe seven yeah, I just, I'm not, I don't love the trade enough to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to take over the Eastern Conference, but I do think they think that they have a lot of pieces to do things well. But a team that was also in on the Donovan Mitchell trade for quite a while was the New York Knicks. However, they were unable to do so in the extension of R.J. Barrett may have been the reason why. Um, he signed a four-year, $120 million contract extension earlier in the week. But for those of you who do not know, um, Woj reported that this complicated the possibility of trading for Donovan Mitchell because um, R.J. Barrett was one of the players included in the trade package to get Mitchell. So, Ethan, do you think that the Knicks sabotaged themselves by re-signing R.J. Barrett? Um, I think, I think so, simply because if you were looking to trade him, why not trade him and then let him get re-signed by the team that he goes to, to the contract that they're willing to sign him to? Um, so I definitely think that might have had to be wrong because at that point, maybe some of the roster um, not roster but salary numbers didn't even out the way that they would have before before the um, extension 
So I think they might have played a part. I think so too, um, especially because I was listening to ESPN Radio, and apparently the extension, uh, the rookie max extensions weren't due until about I believe October. So if they if the Knicks were really in on trying to get trade Donovan Mitchell and felt like RJ Bear would be enough to make that trade happen, they could have waited. But I think that they kind of tried to leverage themselves into it um as to being like, well we'll just keep RJ if you're not gonna do it. I guess trying to entice the Jazz a bit to make the move, but luckily there was another suitor and it all worked out. But yeah, no, I think that they I think that it still works out because Donovan, I mean, uh, R.J. Barrett is a really solid player. And though I don't think he has, he's where he is right now is not as good as where Donovan Mitchell can be. But I do think when it's all said and done, I think they can be within the same stratosphere. Like, I don't think either player is going to bring their teams to the NBA Finals, if that makes sense. But I do think that they're still really productive players if they have the right pieces around them. But now it begs the question of what are the Utah Jazz going to do with their other aging veterans? Guys such as Bohan Bogdanovic, uh, Jordan Clarkson, and Mike Conley. Ethan, in your opinion... What do you think happens with these veteran guys? It seems like the team has committed itself to going the younger route. So, of the three, which one would you want to bring in to your favorite squad if you had to pick? If I had to pick, I'm going to be honest. I want to say Mike Conley for the emotional aspect, but from the aspect of like, That's fair. I would go Jordan Clarkson. Um, he was one of the former Lakers that I kind of hated to see go, but I think that it took him being away from the team and kind of getting out that spotlight to perform better and at a higher level. And so it really worked out for him and his benefits. So I would love to bring him back. We need more youth on the bench. I think that he could be a really good uh, backup point. I know that we brought in Patrick Beverly, but honestly, I'm so confused as to what's going on with our roster that ain't no telling what's going to happen with Russell Westbrook. I still think at some point he ends up getting traded, even if it's not at the start of the season. But I do think that Jordan Clarkson will still be able to come in and provide some valuable um, valuable minutes off the bench. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And kind of speaking of the Los Angeles Lakers, they traded away Talon Horton Tucker to the Utah Jazz, who many believe is bound to have a breakout year. Um, from the Ball Don't Stop uh, Twitter page, they said this, expect THT to have a big year for the Jazz, kind of like Kyle Kuzma coming into his own midseason for the Wizards. He'll get to be a consistent lead attacker from night to night, definitely has two long arm strides, knows how to use his body to score. So, believable or buffoonery, THT will become the new star in Utah. Yeah, I think so too, but I I think so too, but I do think that THC is going to I think he's going to be a really good player as well. I think he's finally going to have his opportunities to show what he can do. Just because I mean, you're not really going to give me an opportunities with AD and LeBron. Like most people really are going to talk about you if those guys are on the court, but with a squad like Utah's right now, this is the perfect time for him to really showcase what uh that he deserves to be on the court. Speaking of a guy who was on the court, 
that's Russell Westbrook, who Jeannie Buss, owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, gave a lot of credit to for his consistency last season. To which he said, he was our best player last year. He played pretty much every single game, showed up, worked hard. I would have loved to seen him, what they could do, meaning AD, LeBron, and Russ, uh, what they would have looked like if they were all healthy. I'm not going to... <laughs> I'm not going to be biased and even ask if he was the best player on the Lakers last year. But to be fair, he was second in points, first in assists, rebound steals, free throws made, and double-doubles. So believable or buffoonery, Russell Westbrook's 2021-2022 season receives too much flack. I think so. I think if you look at it from a guy... Like, yes, his shooting percentages and things weren't that great. But, like you just stated, he was second in scoring, and he led them in multiple categories. On a team that has LeBron James and, at times, a healthy Anthony Davis. So, I think he receives flag, and I think a lot of it is because, like, really, not even the percentages. It's just, like, as a basketball community everyone knew that he wasn't going to fit well with this team and once it was announced that he was there it was kind of like this like okay we're waiting we're waiting to see what happens we're waiting to see this implosion of this team so yeah I think it did receive a little bit more flat than it normally should than it normally needed to yeah, I'm in agreement with you. And I think another factor of that is you play in L.A. That's one of the biggest markets, not just in basketball, but in all the sports. And so because of that, it's clear that everybody's pretty much going to be vilifying you if you're not putting forth terrific play, if you're not leading your team to a championship. You're not going to be quote-unquote beloved. You're going to face so much adversity. And then, not to mention, like you meant, it wasn't a great fit to begin with. Because honestly, the Russell Westbrook we got this past season has been Russ for his entire career. The problem is, because he was in L.A. where it's such so expected to win championships and so such high expectations, especially when you are playing with guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis, anything short of that, you're going to get crucified. And so I think that's what happened to Russ, and I agree. I don't think that it was necessarily fair. But all right, last technical question of believable or buffoonery. Let's talk Bron Bron. In a recent uh, Sports Illustrated cover of between him and his sons, he mentioned his. He once again reiterated his desire to play on the same team with not only Bronny, but his younger son, Bryce, too. He says, I feel like I could play for quite a while, so it's all up to the body. But more importantly, my mind. If my mind can stay sharp and fresh and motivated, then the sky is not even the limit for me. I can go beyond that, but we shall see. He also added in the interview, I'd definitely be looking at who got first-round picks in the 2024, 2025, things of that nature, 2026, 27. I pay attention to that type of stuff. The greatest thing I can see right now is my two boys on the same team. It sounds great, and it sounds really emotional. It'll be a great storyline. However, not everybody is sold that it's just wanting those family ties. Jalen Rose uh, talked about... LeBron's recent comments on 
on playing with his sons and said that it's more so a way of him bowing out. He said, is he going to be playing for that opportunity to run with them and enjoy the game that he loves? Or is his goal to compete for championships? Rose reiterated that LeBron feels he cannot win a championship with the Lakers and already believes that LeBron has accepted this, which is why he has changed his goals. Ethan, believable or buffoonery? LeBron changes his goals because he feels his championship window in L.A. has closed. Uh, I'm going to say buffoonery. And the reason being is because it's like you can look up by the midpoint of this season, the Lakers made a handful of trades. And that could be right back in the championship window. So I think a lot of it just has to do with, like, I think, like, yes, LeBron wants to win championships. I do genuinely believe he wants to continue. He wants to play with his sons. But I think the other thing that LeBron wants to do is, like, he wants to do something that's never been done, which is play, like, for an extremely long period of time. Like, I think about the bench quarters. I think about... um the Kareem's that played well into their ages. I mean, even though he came back to do it, but like Michael Jordan played when he was 40. Like, and that's something that you just don't see. And that's something that LeBron feels like because of the way that he takes care of his body and like the mental aspect that he, um, that he works toward. Like he feels like he do. So, I don't think he's like, he thinks like, ah, oh, my championship window is done. Uh, if you find something else to do, there might be a part of it, but I don't think it's the main part of it. Yeah, yeah I'm calling buffoonery as well. I think that. I think just because he's not saying out loud how much he wants to win a championship, I don't think that take away that takes away the fact that he wants to win one. But I think that right now, as he gets older and his kids are getting older, he's seeing an opportunity where he could legitimately play with them, and I think that that's something that he wants to do, and I, I could see him playing with at least one of them. I still, though, I've said it before when it was just Bronny, but I don't think it necessarily would be the most fair thing in the world to them to have to play with their dad. And the expectations that come with it. But, I mean, um, hopefully they can make it work if it happens. But, all right, this is the very last question before we move on to the WWE. And this is more of a question of what's more likely. So, two important figures of the Golden State Warriors made some interesting comments referring to different players slash teams. For example, Steve Kerr said, and when asked which current player he would love to coach, he said, Giannis. I would like to coach Giannis. He's a great player, um, but he seems like a great person as well. Um, when asked, Steph Curry was asked about if he was not a warrior, what other team would he want to play for? He said, if there was a team that I did want to play for that was not the Warriors, it would be Charlotte. So... Which one do you think is more likely? Giannis one day joining the Warriors or Steph one day joining the Hornets? Steph one day joining the Hornets. He, I mean, he's from the area. His dad played for the team. His dad still currently commentates for the team. Like, I can see that happening way quicker than I can see Giannis. Because, like, Giannis just had overwhelming sense of loyalty and like he doesn't have the only ties that he has to the NBA is the books like Steph came from 
he played for where his father played in the league. And like his hometown had a basket a, a basketball team. So I would say Steph to Charlotte. Yeah, we're in the grants. I'm also would say Steph joining the Hornets for pretty much everything you said. And plus, I don't think that I don't I don't see Giannis as a Cali guy. Like, I could see him kind of staying in the Midwestern area, kind of staying with teams that have a bit of a smaller market. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. I would also say Steph joining the Hornets. All right, concluding this bad boy, here is the recap uh, for WWE's Clash at the Castle. Starting things off, damage control jumps Bianca Belair to get the big win over the trio of Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss. After a match that left me sore, despite not even being involved, Gunther retains his Intercontinental title over Sheamus um, against all odds. Liv Morgan retains her SmackDown Women's Championship. Edge and Rey Mysterio get the win with the help of Dominic, but the little Mysterio ends up turning on Edge and his poppy. Uh, Matt Riddle's emotions get the better of him and cost him his match against Seth Rollins. And finally, the Bloodline adds another member as Roman Reigns retains his universal WWE title. I think that's what it's called. Honestly, I'd be lying if I knew off the top of my head. Um, I end up going 5-1 and one while Ethan won the night going 6-0. and oh. My favorite match of the night was the Intercontinental Championship. I'll be the first to admit that I've never been the biggest Sheamus fan, but I knew that that was one tough SOP, and he showed that again in his match against Gunther. Back when Gunther was known as Walter in his NXT days, he was one of my favorites in the ring, and this past weekend's match is a prime example of why that is. I was really enjoying most of the match even though it was a bit of a slow burn but once it got to the high points it was it never really slowed back down um who my favorite moment was solo sika debuting it was only a matter of time though i haven't really been keeping up with nxt as of late i knew about solo and i was excited to see what he was going to be able to do especially knowing he was really a part of the bloodline so i'm excited to see how his role is going to be i think that he's going to kind of Make up for the impending departure of Sami Zayn when he and Kevin Owens get together and become future tag champs, which is going to be an absolute banger of a match to watch. Um, increased stock, I'll say Bailey. When you pin the Raw Women's Champion, that's obviously going to get you some attention. I didn't think that they would have Bianca to get the pin, but it makes sense, especially as they're trying to set up a future feud between the two. Uh, decreased stock, Matt Riddle. Not because he lost i mean it was a terrific match between the two unsurprisingly they're two of the best in on raw but it's just really interesting to know what his actual role is going to be now especially with randy still being out are they still going to kind of have him as the stoner bro who is beefing with seth or is he going to be doing something different the world may never know next up the one booking decision i would have made i would have had dominic really go all out with the heel turn though i can after seeing it on social media, I know that like his, you know, the clothesline he gave Rey Mysterio was kind of like an homage to, um, why are the New Day on Raw? Sorry. Um, is kind of an homage to Eddie Guerrero. It's still like, go all out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand if you don't want to have him go too, too hard because it's his dad still, but I mean, just, you know, get a little... Get a couple kicks in, a low blow, just something. Um, I'm excited to see what it's going to all turn into, but I just feel like he could have went a little bit further with that heel turn. Um, my biggest WTF moment was Tyson Fury knocking the hell out of Austin Theory. Like, it made no sense, but it was also hilarious. 
And my overall show grade, I give it a B minus. Um, not, I don't think that's any indication of the match quality. I think the match qualities were really, really good. But I just don't. I think I don't think I was as invested in the matches as I have been in previous pay-per-views, and so because of that that's definitely had an impact on it. But uh, that was the clash at the castle recap, and that was our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Can't wait to see you guys after week one. See y'all next week.